Time now for Midweek Media Watch. I'm welcoming Hayden Donnell in the Auckland studio. Kia ora, Hayden. You wanted to talk to start with about some of the media surrounding this ongoing COVID scare in Wellington. Yes, so the Ministry of Health confirmed at 6.15 or so this morning that a COVID-positive traveller had spent the weekend in the coolest little capital, Wellington. However, the timing of that announcement has drawn complaints from the media. Why is that? Well, if you were up watching the cricket like I was yesterday evening, you would have probably seen some tweets flying about... It was from New South Wales Health Authorities, and they sent out a release around 11.20pm, which named a flight into Wellington on June 18 and out of the city on June 21 as locations of interest in its COVID outbreak. So this was shared pretty widely, but it didn't prompt any public statements from our own health officials at the Ministry of Health. So... Today it actually emerged, Chris Hipkins said that he had spoken to Ashley Bloomfield about this COVID-19 case around, he first said 7.30, but then he sort of amended it to 8.30. We did have Katie Scotcher from the gallery uh, talk to us last night about this announcement. Right, okay, at 10.30. Yeah, around about 10.30, 10.18. I must have missed it. I must have missed it. Maybe I'm absolutely... Uh, Perhaps not about the flight, about the bubble. Okay, no, no, that's that's a bit different. So this actual confirmation that this person was in Wellington, that came out from New South Wales Health Authorities, but the Ministry of Health didn't comment on it publicly for 10 hours. So it was all night. There were journalists sending questions to them. Glenn McConnell from Stuff, he said that journalists from their organisation had been sending questions throughout the night. There was radio silence. And so this was raised this morning in an interview uh between Stuff's Thomas Coughlin and National Leader Judith Collins, which went like this. It's quite odd, isn't it? The, um, the New South Wales uh, Health Authorities um, tweeted about it at 20 past 11 last night. We only got notified of it uh, shortly after 6 o'clock this morning, I think. Um, what were they doing in the intervening period? People in Wellington are still awake and, and going out, presumably. Well, you'd have to wonder, wouldn't you? And you'd also say that COVID doesn't go to sleep at nights. Yeah, so that's a pretty good line from Nationals leader Judith Collins. So Hayden, this feeds into some ongoing frustration from the media with the Ministry of Health's approach to comms, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So this, I just want to contextualise this frustration, I guess, from journalists a little bit because they've long murmured both publicly and privately about their difficulties getting information out of the Ministry of Health and this was a topic of conversation last year. You might remember the News Hub investigative journalist Michael Mora. He accused the Ministry and Ashley Bloomfield in particular actually. He got a lot of, he got a lot of flack for this uh, of minimising issues with PPE distribution and not being upfront about uh, some of the failings at MIQ. So here's just a snippet of some things that he said about Ashley Bloomfield from an interview on the beloved radio show Media Watch. So I think there has been a, a pattern of failures And unfortunately, in my opinion, the Director General has on occasion been economical with the truth on several issues. This goes for reassurances over supplies and distribution of flu vaccine, swabs and PPE. So that was Michael Mora uh, from last year. That was one complaint about the Ministry of Health. There's also Stuff's Andrea Vance. She criticised not just the Ministry of Health, but just about every government agency there is recently for their communication style and the proliferation of PR people, that kind of thing. But one of the things that she said in her blistering column was that the Ministry of Health is refusing to even answer media queries by phone and just replying to emails instead. 
And there could be very real consequences from that delay, um, although we don't have any confirmed COVID cases. No, that's a contention of the media, though. So as that, you know, that clip from Thomas Coughlin, that interview between him and Judith Collins, he pointed out that at the time that Ashley Bloomfield and Chris Hipkins knew about this, the Ministry of Health was obviously aware, contact tracers were starting to work, uh, Wellingtonians were still blissfully unaware out at night in bars and pubs and all that sort of stuff, and they didn't know that they could have been potentially exposed to a COVID-19 positive person. So he argued or he questioned Judith Collins about whether we should have actually put out at least a brief statement saying this has happened. Uh, And this was a topic of conversation at the 1pm briefing as well today. Uh, TV1's Jessica Much raised this concern that the first list of locations of interest didn't come out until around 9am this morning. That first tranche of locations of interest came out just before 9 o'clock. Most of those people will have gone to work taking public transport. Are you concerned that that wasn't put out earlier? Look, it was put out as soon as it was available, as soon as we were able to assemble that information. This is a bit of a tag team attack. That was Jessica Much, but uh, News Hub's Tover O'Brien was even more blunt. Being so sluggish to release those locations, you exposed more people to risk, didn't you? Oh, look, I don't think it, it would be fair to characterise that as sluggish. Yeah, so that was a little bit more of an editorialised question from News Hub's Tover O'Brien. Now, to be fair to the Ministry, the, the delay in reporting some of these locations of interest might have been just a sheer number of them. I think the COVID-19 case visited just about every location in Wellington. There's Pickle and Pie, Weta, Cave, uh, Floriditas, Unity Books. It's a real grab bag of iconic Wellington locations, but it might have taken a while to compete. But there's still certainly an argument that the Ministry could have been quicker communicating with journalists and with the public, I guess, ultimately. And is there anything else to note from today's media storm? I suppose it's the right word. Over yeah, the, media, something over, what, flurry. Um, Blitz. <laughs> I was watching the 1pm briefing on the RNZ live stream on Facebook for my sins, but one thing that I noticed is that the social media comments were just an absolute nightmare, a horrible mess. And it was just hijacked. The whole comment section was basically hijacked by anti-vaxxers, lockdown opponents, and assorted conspiracy theorists of all stripes. And I noticed this prompted Byron Clark, who researches far-right groups in New Zealand, to say that maybe RNZ should turn off comments on its live streams. So uh, that's an idea. This isn't a new phenomenon. I actually reported on something similar that was happening in 2018. There was a whole bunch of news organisations that had their Facebook live streams swamped by anti-1080 protesters. So it's an old tactic, but Facebook has recently, as, as I understand it, introduced some new moderation tools that allow admins greater control, including turning off comments on certain posts, which we're going to hear about a bit later on in the show. Uh, so it's probably wise for news organisations to at least uh, familiarise themselves with those and on things like this stop their live streams being hijacked by bad actors. Well, a bit later is now, in fact, social media comments. You wanted to talk about Laurel Hubbard's inclusion in the New Zealand Olympic team and the response. Yes. So this was always going to be a story that was going to ignite debate and inflame potential prejudices. And uh, there there was always going to be that aspect of it. But I did think some of the early reports, at least, served to fan the flames of that prejudice. So the Herald wrote up Piers Morgan's thoughts on the matter. God knows why, who cares? RNZ's Checkpoint book, former late 
weightlifter uh, Tracy Lambrex, uh, who said two gold medals should be given out if Laurel Hubbard wins. So these were the early reports that I saw on this. Well, he is widely known throughout the world, Piers Morgan. Yeah, he the is. The Western but, world. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's questionable about whether everyone in the Western world does need to hear his thoughts on everything all the time, though. Uh, well, I, possibly because it had a New Zealand aspect to it. How often has Piers Morgan ever written anything about New Zealand ever? Yeah, fair call, but I think that maybe there are also other voices. This is internationally covered by other people apart from Piers Morgan. Maybe I'm letting my anti-Piers prejudice show here. I should shut up on it. You're right, But it's a, it's a topic that's going to inspire strong views on either side. I'm not surprised that Piers Morgan jumped in and had a go. No, absolutely not. And uh, I, kn- I know there's going to be... Opponents of this included in the coverage, I absolutely understand that. There's debate, including legitimate debate, around this topic of trans inclusion in elite sports. My issue with some of these stories was that they were missing some vital context. (laughs) Some of them got updated, but some of the original ones, they didn't really include the fact that, for instance, the International Olympic Committee has had rules for including trans athletes since 2003, 20 years. And these are informed by science. They govern what testosterone levels they can record over a course of a long period of time, a year. Uh, Laurel Hubbard is the first trans athlete to have competed in the Olympics in the nearly 20 years that they can. Uh, She isn't the favourite to win. She's uh, not out of place in her division either. In fact, she's smaller than some of her other competitors. And, and, And besides all of that context that maybe didn't get included, there's also the fact that just seeing the commentary and the response to it has been really <laughs> difficult for trans people. So I saw the journalist, journalist uh, trans journalist Felix Demare uh, uh, tweeted today, uh, I cannot tell you how bloody difficult and horrible it is to be a trans person right now, let alone a trans woman. My love to all my trans sisters. And I get why the media covers this stuff. It's a topic that prompts intense debate on both sides, some of which I get. Uh, that drives traffic, I get that. But there is a case where that media instinct to prioritise and elevate conflict could be tempered in this situation. Uh, so I just looked up some of the stats recently. In 2019, there was a study called Counting Ourselves. It showed a whole bunch of stuff, but 71% of New Zealand trans people aged 15 or more have reported high or very high psychological dif- distress 56% have seriously considered suicide in the last 12 months. 37% have attempted suicide at some point. So as Felix said, those people from that report are watching this coverage and they're seeing that those comments. And so that makes it important to at least take care. There is a duty of care here besides just your normal media principles. Uh, and as one trans person who's worked in the media said to me, uh, you know, these stories can do real and true harm. Do you think that um, factions of the media became conscious of that, perhaps adjusted coverage? Yeah, I, I, I would be speculating, but I did notice a real change in the tone of the coverage over the course of the day, and especially today. So, uh, for instance, I'm just going to highlight some of the stuff that came out. RNZ's Morning Report carried this interview with trans um, mental health expert Jamie Veal. 
And look, we've been having these debates since we've been um, having transgender athletes at the top level since the 80s, and every time people have been raising these fears about um, about fairness. But, you know, the reality is we haven't been seeing trans people coming in in these overwhelming numbers. In fact, given even the most conservative um, estimates of the number of trans people that we have, we'd be expecting to be seeing hundreds of trans people now. Yeah, and the Herald, uh, they, they may have written up Piers Morgan's thoughts, which I didn't really care for, but they also aired an interview, it was a really good one, with Lexi Matheson, a, a trans AUT lecturer uh, who has represented New Zealand in karate in the 55-plus age category, apparently. Uh, she had this to say. I'm living proof, um, and I'm not alone, I'm living proof as to what happens to the muscles, what happens to everything when you've spent a decade um, take you know, gobbling down 10 mils of estrogen every day and 100 mils of testosterone blockers, things change. You can't do the same things. Yeah, some of these, so there was others. There was Tony Smith and stuff wrote a longer, more comprehensive backgrounder on Laurel Hubbard. Uh, there was people like Kristen Worley uh, um, who commented that she's a trans cyclist and uh, she pointed out some of the significant hurdles that Laurel Hubbard has faced and already overcome as a fully transitioned athlete. But uh, here's the social media comments section that yeah. was the most intense commentary. Yeah, exactly. So it's not really, I, don't, I wouldn't, what I'm talking about before with the comments that uh, trans people see, some of our most marginalised and vulnerable communities see, it's not necessarily just these media stories, but it's the social media comments that they provoke, which are probably the most um, damaging. And that's where... Uh, I have to credit news organisations for taking some action as well. So stuff doesn't post on Facebook in the first place. That's a pretty good start. The Herald, though, it shut down comments on its post about Laurel Hubbard. And it actually, I saw a statement from its social media team that was that was posted that explained that decision. And it said uh, that the discussion had devolved too regularly into comments that demean trans people and deny their existence. And it said... Uh, Transphobia, transphobia wouldn't be tolerated on their page. They've got terms and conditions to that effect. Uh, News Hub's social media team also limited comments on its stories. And so you're seeing some of those aforementioned tools of moderation that are on social media now being taken out here and actually applied judiciously to limit some of the more destructive stuff that can happen on social media. This is going to be an ongoing issue through the Olympics, so media organisations should probably start getting accustomed to those tools. And Hayden, you'd like to end uh, by a bouquet to the New York Times, specifically a headline. Uh, yes, yes. Well, I look. This is a this is a bit of a headline style. I've seen it as a Twitter joke. It's but this has been hailed as the greatest headline of all time, apparently. So it's about uh, moray eels. When an eel climbs a ramp to eat a squid, up. Uh, I said it wrong. When an eel climbs a ramp to eat squid from a clamp, that's a moray. <laughs> So it's about how moray eels to eat squid from a clamp. That's the So that's that's about how moray eels can hunt on land. Congratulations to the New York Times. That was apparently a sub-editor called Sabrina Imbler responsible for that historic achievement in headline writing. Congratulations to her and the Times.
So an eel does climb a ramp to eat squid from a clamp. It can. In, a, in an experiment. A moray eel has climbed a ramp to eat squid from a clamp. That's a moray. Well, just for your benefit, I actually thought we might end with Dean Martin and the track itself so we can to listen to that word play. Oh, that's so good. When an eel climbs a ramp to eat squid from a clamp. I'm glad this has become a huge deal of my <laughs> installation tonight. But this track came out in 1953. It was a major hit, what they call a signature song for Dean Martin, and uh, it's called That's Amore. And Hayden Donnell, thank you very much. Talk to you in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for having me. In Napoli, where love is king, when boy meets girl, here's what they say. When the moon hits your eye Like a bigger pizza pie That's amore When the world seems to shine Like you've had too much wine That's amore Bells will ring Tingle-ling-a-ling Tingle-ling-a-ling And you'll sing Vita Bella Hearts who play tippy tippy tay tippy tippy tay like a guitar and When the stars make you drool, just like a pastefazul at Samore. When you dance down the street with a cloud at your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, Signore. Excuse me, but you see, back in old Napoli, that's more. That's amore. Bells will ring. Ding a ling a ling. Ding a ling a ling. And you sing Vita Bella. Vita Bella, Vita Bella. Hearts will play. Like a guitar and Lucky fella. When the stars make you drool just like pasta fazul. When you dance down the street with the cloud at your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, Signore. Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli, that's amore, amore, that's amore.